The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you'd like to find out more about us and how we strive to be a gospel-centered, city-focused church community, visit us at missioday.org. Welcome again, Jonah chapter number one. If you wanna go ahead and turn your Bibles, there we'll read verses four through 17 this morning in the second part of our uh, sermon series today. If you have our app, Missio Day, it's on all the platforms. You can search West Campus, uh, look in the app, uh, the sermon series, it's Jonah, God Relentlessly Pursues His People. Uh, God's relentless pursuit of his people, and you'll see a sermon entitled The Effects of Disobedience on Our Neighbors. All right, the effects of disobedience on our neighbors. And if you click that, there's a tab that says notes, and you can follow along. All your fill in the blanks will be in yellow on the screen if that's a help to you uh, in navigating, uh, following along, taking notes this morning. Uh, We hope it is. Also, not all doom and gloom this morning. Uh, we'll, we'll look at a text that is challenging and difficult, but also declares the hope of the gospel that uh, we're all uh, accustomed to hearing. If you've been here at all, we declare the gospel every single week. And so we're excited to declare the gospel and then we're excited to uh, celebrate the effect of the gospel as just following the gathering will uh, encourage and uh, motivate everybody to, to head out to the gathering. We'll gather around as tightly as we can in the lobby and we'll celebrate uh, the baptism of one of our men. And so I'm excited about that. I've already had uh, several people ask me about being baptized at our next baptism service. And so uh, it's exciting to uh, be uh, seeing the gospel take root in people's hearts, lives being changed uh, as a result of the work that Christ is doing through uh, the many people that make Missio Day uh, happen. And so we're excited about that. What we've seen in the story of Jonah uh, so far in our study is that God is a God who graciously and relentlessly pursues sinful people and disobedient servants and restores them both back to his service. Remember, that was the theme that we were navigating throughout the entirety of the book of Jonah. And we talked briefly about that last week. And over the next couple weeks, we'll get to hear uh, really practical and tangible stories of people that, that some of you know that are connected to Missio in one form or uh, fashion and hear some of their stories about how God in their life has pursued. Because it's easy to look at the book of Jonah and think, well, man, God's not calling me to a place like Nineveh to do something that I don't wanna do and I'm not rejecting that and I'm not sitting here doing nothing and God's not gonna swallow me up with a fish. Like, I get that. And so we wanna, we wanna hear tangible, real-life stories of people that have, have tried to run from God and who God has relentlessly pursued. And so I want you to look uh, for the next few minutes. Uh, I wanna introduce you to my friend named Soul. He is one of the men that is, has gone through and, and graduated from the Exodus program at City Gospel Mission. Um, it's been a pleasure getting to know him and having the opportunity to, to hear his story on a number of occasions. I think it'd be helpful. I think it'd be encouraging and challenging to us. And so we'll watch that and then we'll continue on in our gathering this morning. I don't really know what to say. I don't really know how to start. But the only thing I really can tell you is that right now, today, uh, God has come into my life and he's done a work. I was born and raised in a a small neighborhood in Cincinnati, South Cumminsville, and my pops, you know, he was a pastor of a small local Baptist church. Um, 
You know, my mom and my father both raised me to be a good, quote unquote, Christian man. Uh, about the age of 12, uh, I discovered drinking. Uh, I discovered what it felt like to rebel against rules. I discovered what it felt like to do my own thing. Um, I feel like that was my initial taste of willful disobedience. I can tell you that I enjoyed it. And for a season, it was working for me. Um, this same very lifestyle, I ended up doing a great number of things, uh, all kinds of crimes and just staying out and just doing whatever I wanted to do. And uh, the way that kind of stuff ends, it landed me in prison and I went away, um, did almost a decade inside of there. And uh, I finally was released. And when I got out, you know, I was happy. I knew that I didn't want to continue in that lifestyle. I knew that I didn't want to be someone who was in and out of jail, who continuously did crime. I, while I was in there, I, I went to school, got my GED, did all the things that a person would do while inside to say that when I get out, I'm not going to be the same. The one thing that was missing early on and that was still missing, although I knew I wanted to be different, was how. I thought I could just choose to change and I thought I could just will myself into doing better. What I found was that I still enjoyed being rebellious. I still enjoyed uh, just doing my own thing. I still enjoyed drinking and drugging to excess. Within a certain amount of time of me getting out of prison, I found myself at the lowest of the low. I was in and out of rehabs. I was in and out of sober living. Uh, and I knew that I had to change, but I didn't know how. Finally, actually, uh, the way that God, I feel like, inflicted his will on my life was I tore my meniscus in my knee and I was forced to stop because whenever I would want to get up and try to go do something or go drink or go get high, my knee would say, no, you can't even make it. So I had to sit down and it was during that time that I found a faith-based program for recovery called Exodus. Inside Exodus, they didn't so much focus on the drinking and the drugging, but they focused on my soul and about real salvation and real deliverance that only comes through Christ. And so it was being a part of that journey and uh, actually that fact and that fact alone is why I can tell you that I sit here today and I've been sober now close to a year and God is working and moving in my life in ways that I could not have imagined in ways that I could I could not even have dreamed up the only thing I can tell you is that I'm grateful and I'm thankful and I was at the lowest of the low and now God has 
lifted me up out of that darkness and he's brought me into a marvelous light. And I just thank him for it. Yeah, Saul's a great friend. It's a great story of God's redemption and uh, similar to what is unfolding here in the book of Jonah. Again, if you have your Bibles, Jonah chapter one, we're gonna read verse four through 17. Uh, we're gonna talk through a pretty incredible story and, and draw some uh, conclusions, draw some uh, points from, and then make some application to our everyday life this morning. Jonah chapter one, verse four. We'll read all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 17. The word of the Lord says this. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account the evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grow, grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of that, that that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land and they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. So I want us to notice uh, very quickly from the beginning that God is making, in his, making his grace known through his sovereign rule over all things, right? We said the, the big picture theme uh, that started last week was that God was a gracious God who was making himself known and, and part of that was by relentlessly pursuing both disobedient servants, Jonah, and uh, sinful people, the Ninevites. They're, they were evil and Jonah uh, got a word from the Lord, the Bible says, to arise, go to Nineveh in verse one and call out against the evil that they were doing. 
right? And we, so we know that Jonah, that wasn't Jonah's response. We know that Jonah went down to uh, Joppa, which is a port city, which is one of, the, one of the cool parallels to the New Testament is that that becomes a city in which God uses in the Old Testament through uh, the running of Jonah and then the coming back of Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel to Gentile believers or Gentile people that were unbelievers, as well as a place that was integral in the life of Peter in the New Testament, that he would springboard his ministry to the Gentiles uh, from there. And so it's a great city being used by God in tremendous ways. And so he leaves Joppa, boards this boat, rents uh, his space in the boat uh, with this uh, uh, team of mariners, the Bible tells, or the team of sailors that are taking uh, from Joppa to Tarshish. They're taking whatever, cargo. We know that there's at least cargo on the boat. And so we find ourselves entered into that story. And the text this morning is really bookended by two miraculous moves of God's control over all things, right? Inside of his sovereign role over people, over things, we see that he's also in complete control of nature. Verse four, God hurls a storm of cosmic proportions so strong that even these professional sailors are extremely frightened. Right? These are professionals. Their job was to travel back and forth from port to port, carrying goods, carrying people. And so they had seen it all. Like this wasn't the first storm that was hurled on uh, in the sea, right? This was one that was drastic. And they even recognized it as out of the ordinary, an extraordinary storm that wasn't a normal storm. And they were extremely, extremely frightened. We'll dive into that a little bit. But they become overwhelmed and they begin to panic as we see, as we'll work through the text. And then this portion of the text ends with another miraculous move of God's power and control over all things when it says that God appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And the great fish becomes a place that Jonah resides for three days and three nights. Now the children's storybook version of this uh, calls it a whale. We don't know if it's a whale or a great white. We don't know. We just know that it's a very, very big fish that comes and swallows. But the interesting thing I wanna point out is that not only that it swallowed a man, not only how cool is it that a man lived three days and three nights inside the, the stomach of this fish, but in my mind, it's extremely cool that God appointed this fish to swing up and swallow. So when, when all of life seems like it's spiraling out of control, God is in control of the situation, even by the means in which he uses to get our attention. And so God hurls the storm, God appoints this great fish. Let's take a closer look at the overwhelming storm that God hurls as next week's text will be the dialogue between Jonah and God while Jonah's living inside of this this, this belly, all right? So let's take a closer look at the overwhelming storm that God hurls. Overwhelming situations that bring chaos into our life are not foreign idea to us. They're something that we, we get, we understand. Some of us have endured uh, seasons of difficulty that were uh, uh, just uh, sometimes explainable, sometimes unexplainable. Sometimes there was no reasoning for the things that people even in this room, even recently have had to endure. Job loss, loss of a family member, uh, violence, abuse, neglect, the effects of trauma that come from those realities, right? We're all accustomed to life being overwhelming. 
beyond our ability to control, beyond our ability to, to remedy or to change, right? And so we see these people in a same situation. This storm was spiraling more and more out of control. These seasoned uh, sailors were extremely frightened. Jonah was care, careless in the whole thing. And we see that even in this overwhelming situation, God is still in control. But I wanna look at overwhelming because it's something that we all can identify with. We've all experienced these things in and out of our life. And sometimes life becomes overwhelming simply because we live in a broken world, right? All of us have, all of us have experienced things in our life that seem unexplainable, right? They weren't a result of our sin. And in most cases, they weren't really a result of the sin of another person. Right? There's these, these difficult storms, whether they're medical or whether they're physical or whether they're financial. And sometimes those things happen just because the effects of the fallen world, the effects of sinfulness pervades everything. And so all these things that are unexplainable happen in a way that, that we in our minds have a hard time making sense of, right? One of those things for an easy example is cancer. People aren't uh, judged by God with cancerous cells that eat up their body. More often than not, it's just a biological thing that happens that there's not a strong explanation for, there's not a strong solution for, and it's a reality that we have to live in, right? Many of you have experienced that. My family is in the middle of experiencing that right now as a four-year-old cousin of mine. Life is being ravaged by the disease of cancer. Like, we don't really know why. There's no good explanation for that but we know that we live in a fallen world. And so sometimes life becomes extremely overwhelming just because sin pervades our society and it affects everything. Genesis 3 talks a lot about that. We just spent some time working through Genesis 3. This isn't the case here in our story in Jonah though, is it? Here life is overwhelming because of the sin of Jonah. That's very obvious. God's word came to Jonah, go to the Ninevites and call out against their sinfulness. Jonah's response was get on a boat and flee the presence of the Lord. God hurled this great storm in response to Jonah's disobedience. And so it's overwhelming in this story to Jonah as a result of his sin. And it's overwhelming for the sailors in this story as a result of Jonah's sin, right? And so this makes a little bit more sense to us. We at least can explain away these overwhelming circumstances in our life because we look at sometimes life being overwhelming because of our sin, right? Because of our sin. We've all been in a place where we've created situations in our life because of our pride, because of our uh, selfishness, because of our sinfulness, Right, And so we've all uh, been perhaps in a financial predicament because of our careless spending uh, and then there wasn't really a strong reason for it. There wasn't devastating job loss that kept us afloat by using credit cards. It was just uncontrolled spending, creating this financial storm in our lives born out of our sinfulness to have things that we couldn't afford to have, right? That's an easy example. Example of like uh, finding ourselves in prison creates this storm because of sinfulness and wrongdoing, right? We understand that God is gracious in and out of those situations. And sometimes God even uses those difficult situations in our lives to draw us back in. I've heard stories of that. But sometimes life is overwhelming because of our, our sin. And that's, that's where Jonah finds himself. 
where storms of difficult circumstances have been created by God as a direct result of our disobedience to God's word. Here's another one that's easy to understand or easier to explain than circumstances created by just living in a fallen world, but not easier to deal with the effects of, right? And so we see that sometimes life is overwhelming because the sins of others, right? We've all experienced that where we've, we've felt overwhelmed with feelings and we felt overwhelmed with situations. We felt overwhelmed by circumstances that are the direct result of somebody else's disobedience. Sins not committed by us, but sins that are committed against us. And they come with deep pain. They come and leave deep wounds and scars that uh, we don't find any hope of them being healed outside of the saving work of Christ. Things like abuse, where innocent people are living with the effects of trauma as a result of sins committed against them. I think of uh, just the amazing, uh, the amazing priority around here where uh, God's people are putting, uh, bringing families and kids into their lives that don't have anywhere to, to be. They don't have anywhere to live. But those kids come in with trauma and deep wounds and deep scars and unexplainable behaviors that don't make any sense sometimes even to me, right? And so that's an, that's an easy example of a, a person or a people who are affected deeply by the sins and the scars of other people. Another is violence, right? Uh, one person's disobedience and, and taking a gun down to the city center of our city and, and, uh, and shooting it off causes a lot of overwhelming circumstances for people grieving loss, for people fearful to enter their workplace. How do we explain these things? How do we make sense of them? Where is God in the middle of these things? Why isn't God being gracious? These are all questions we've all asked at circumstances and seasons of difficulty in our life. And I wanna remind us, not an attempt to explain away, not an attempt to make light of the deep hurt and the deep burden and the deep uh, wounds that are left by sinfulness, but to remind us that all brokenness, regardless of its origin, is intended to point us to a greater understanding of our need for Jesus and the hope that we have of eternity with him that is completely absent of brokenness that we experience in our life and the effects that it has on our lives. As we understand this, we can truly understand that suffering in the context of God's sovereign control, rule, and reign doesn't happen apart from God's rule, but within it. And so even in seasons of extreme suffering, we can find relief and peace knowing God's already got this figured out. God is already accomplishing his purpose. And oftentimes, the suffering we endure becomes the very means by which God draws us to himself into a greater dependence and away from the falsehood that we believe will bring us satisfaction, safety, and security. 
Because as, as our satisfaction is stripped away from us, as our security is stripped away from us, as our safety is stripped away from us, then we hit kind of rock bottom and we look up to God because we think he's the only one can help us. And in that moment, we're finally figuring out the Christian life. We are sinful people. We're surrounded by sinful people and living in a fallen world and things happen. And those things should drive us to our knees in worship of a holy, in-control God and not away from him, right? And so we see God graciously pursuing Jonah in this storm. We see God graciously pursuing these lost sailors in this storm. A quote I came by from C.S. Lewis says this. It says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains, right? He whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Right? It's his megaphone to rouse a world that has fallen asleep. It's his megaphone to rouse a world uh, primarily in the hearts of Christian people who are unconscious to the sinfulness of our society, are unconscious to the needs of sinful people in our society, and are unconscious to the very reality of our own sin. And so God shouts in our seasons of pain, trying to capture our hearts, reveal his purpose and draw us into sweet fellowship with him. The overwhelming seasons of life are the ones in which God reminds us that we can't run from him. We can't hide from him. And we ultimately won't endure through those times without him, right? That's what he's doing here in Jonah, hurling this storm, right? He makes even storms that he sends into our lives, the means by which his kindness is leading us towards repentance and restoring us back to relationship with him. And so some of us can step back and we can look at this situation and read this story and we can say, man, it would have just been a lot better had God not have brought judgment on Jonah's sin, right? Could have just, in in an age of tolerance, it's easier just to let people do their thing and be who they want to be and go about the path that they want to go on. But that's not how God works, is it? And so he sends this storm, not letting Jonah run. As Jonah's running and fleeing from his presence, he doesn't just wash his hands. Well, he doesn't want to be with me. Let him go. No, he chases him down by any means necessary. That brings a lot of hope to me. But Jonah doesn't see it like this, does he? The storm of God's grace sent to call him to obedience doesn't seem to do that. Instead, Jonah digs deeper into the despair of his disobedience. And in the story, we'll see that in our lives, even our disobedience or our sinfulness always has effects on those around us, right? Our disobedience always has effects on those around us. We would be absolutely foolish 
to believe that our lives are so self-contained that our good things we do don't bring good and hope and life to people and the bad things we do don't bring despair to people. It's just not reality, right? No matter how isolated we wanna live, no matter how much we wanna withdraw from people, the fact in the matter is our sinfulness and our disobedience always has effects on those people who live around us. And so we see this in Jonah's life. His disobedience is running. God hurls this storm to chase him down. We see Jonah continuing to dig deeper into his despair. We see this through apathy. We see that disobedience causes apathy. Verse five, Jonah retreats to the lower parts of the boat and he lays down, right? And so we see uh, we see then that the captain of the ship is coming down to the boat where he lays. The, the original language isn't like they were searching for Jonah. The original language gives this idea that he was so fast asleep, he was snoring so loud that even in the midst of this chaotic storm, the, the, the captain of the ship heard him and went down to see who was down in the basement. Right, and as he gets down there, he says something that probably hunted Jonah because it was eerily similar to the language that God used in verse one when he called him. Right, so the captain of the ship comes down and he says essentially the same thing that God in him, that God himself had given to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh and cry out against evil. We see the captain of the ship, verse five, comes and he goes and he says, hey, Jonah, arise, go. It's the exact same language that God himself was using. Go and cry out to your God, the very one that you're running from, right? And so we see this, this apathy where Jonah is falling asleep in the boat, totally uh, unaware of the storm that is uh, coming as a result of his disobedience and its effect on these innocent sailors who were really just clocking in for their day of work, right? We see that sin only breeds more sin. And the more sin we commit and the more sin we feel like we're getting away with, the colder we grow to it and the more difficult it becomes for us to repent of our sin, right? Those gripped by the shackles of addiction like pornography and drug and alcohol addiction with each give in to the enemy to sin and continue that sinfulness, we see that it becomes harder and harder and harder to repent of that sin and walk away from it, right? It's natural. So sin should rattle us, not cause us to be apathetic towards it. Disobedience towards God's word caused Jonah to be apathetic towards us, but it also causes us to be apathetic towards those around us who need to experience God's grace. And so as the word of the Lord comes to us, as we study, as we sit, and as we take in and soak up God's word, and it gives us commandments of things to go out and do, that's what obedience looks like. I hear and I walk it out. I listen and I do, right? And that's what God is calling us to. And the more times we say no to that, the more difficult it becomes to be obedient, right? And we see this pattern in Jonah's life. Verses eight through nine, we see that disobedience causes shame, right? Causes shame. When Jonah was asked about who he was, where he came from, what his vocation was, he answers some of their questions, but he leaves out some important answers, doesn't he? First question asks, what is your vocation? Where do you come from? He says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord who is in control of the sea and the land, where they were, where they wanted to go. God is in control of it all. And I, wor- I, 
I fear him, which was a lie, wasn't it? Because he didn't fear him. But he leaves out a detail. And the detail he leaves out is what his vocation was, right? Jonah was a prophet of God that was on run from the very God who made him and called him, created him and gifted him to be this prophet. But Jonah leaves out that he is a prophet of God. He doesn't say anything about being a minister of God's grace, a bearer of the message that hope, of hope that only comes through salvation by faith. And so we see that as we become ashamed of this calling that God has given us to uh, carry his message of hope to a lost and a dying world, the, the more we do that each time we're disobedient to share the gospel to those around us, it becomes increasingly more difficult to be obedient in sharing it. The sad part of one sad part of this story is Jonah in their overwhelming circumstances, in their chaos, in their despair, knew where hope could be found. And so do we, right? And as we experience storms and despair and difficult circumstances in our life, we know where to look for hope. So we see like in this story where these sailors are coming and asking Jonah to go before the Lord and call on him as they've called on all of their God. They've exhausted all of their options. They've called out to everybody that they believe in. They've called out to people they don't believe in. They've tried everything they could. They've tried unhurling the cargo to lighten the load of the ship and nothing seems to be working. They dive deeper, deeper, deeper into despair and hopelessness. And our neighbors are doing the same. Even evidenced by the events of this week, our neighbors are crying out for answers to their overwhelming lives. What are you? People whose lives have been changed by the overwhelming love of God telling them. Those of you who've experienced God's goodness, experienced God's grace, how are you giving hope? to those around us that are in despair? Are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation? Does your walk match your talk? Or do your words say that you aren't ashamed? but your works actually say that you are, right? We're really good as Christian people to say that we believe this and we believe the hope. We believe that God's grace is enough. We believe that the gospel is enough. Yet as we encounter people all around us living in complete and utter despair, some of us we know, some of us we have to dig a little bit deeper, we keep that to ourselves. We're disobedient, right? We also see in Jonah that disobedience causes desperation. We see this in verse five. We see this again, verses 12 through 13, that Jonah's desperation leads him to the point where he is willing to die before he is willing to repent, right? He's willing to die before he's willing to repent. 
At first read, his act could seem heroic in nature, but it's actually very cowardly. His apathy, his shame, his desperation keeps him from repenting to a God, uh, repenting to God and caring for these sailors who, as we see the story unfold, cared more greatly for him than he actually cared for them. See, because Jonah in this story isn't the only one who's despairing as a result of his disobedience. The sailors are despairing in the storm as well. They hurl cargo over the edge trying to survive. They, they, they try to ride out the storm. They try to cry out to their gods. They beg Jonah to cry out to his God. Even once Jonah told them the storm would calm if they would hurl him over the side, what did they keep doing? They were still trying to row harder. The Bible says that they're, they're row, they rode harder. That means they dug their oars deeper into the water, trying to get their boat to move faster, to flee back to Joppa, where they would find safety in being on dry land. This explains a lot the despair of the people that are around us. People searching for hope, for salvation, for security in a myriad of spiritual and physical sources and in desperation crying out to anything and trying anything that they can find what it is they're looking for. It just doesn't explain our neighbors. This explains us. In our desperation, in our overwhelming life scenarios, we begin looking for salvation. We begin looking for security. We begin looking for hope in things that leave us eternally searching and effectively hopeless. Right? When life gets overwhelming, what, who, or where do you turn for help and comfort? Right? When life becomes overwhelming, like life is spiraling in chaos out of complete control, what, who, or where do you turn for comfort, for help, for healing, for hope? Anything other than Jesus reveals the idolatry found in our hearts. Right? If it's not Jesus that we run to, we love and worship something more than Jesus. See, and it's in those moments that God shakes us with the storms of his life to reveal the true nature of our hearts and where it is we're putting our hope. <clears throat> Thankfully, the story doesn't end here. The sailors hurl Jonah over the boat finally. The storm is calmed and the sailors turn to God. They fear him. They worship him. As the true and living God, we see conversion of lost sinners who are now made beautiful saints by the work of Christ, not because they wanted something from God, because they see the goodness of God displayed and their hearts were drawn to him and they put their faith in him for salvation. And he saved their souls, but he also saved their circumstance. We get a beautiful picture in this text of the parallel between Jonah and a greater Jonah, the Bible talks about Jesus, that would come and he would offer himself as a sacrifice for the saving of many sinful people. 
We see Jonah would rather perish. He would rather die alone in the sea of this storm that was created by God in direct uh, 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 punishment of his disobedience than to go and preach to the Ninevites. You see, Jesus also came and Jesus also perished, but Jesus perished so that his death, his burial, his resurrection would be preached to all creatures until the ends of the earth, right? We see Jonah would rather die than go and Jesus goes and dies. Jonah, in disobedience, attempts death to isolate himself from God's judgment. Jesus, in obedience, endures death, a wrongful death that was rightfully ours to satisfy God's judgment on our behalf. See this in the gospel. Jesus walks into the storm of God's judgment so that through faith in his sacrifice, we would be saved, right? That's our hope, church. That's our life. That's our energy. That's our salvation. That's our security. That is our everything. The reality that Jesus, the perfect, sinless son of God, comes to earth and becomes our sin. He actually takes what is ours and puts it on himself. And in his back, he's beaten and bloody to the point of death as he is dying, taking our penalty from our sin. Then he lives in the tomb. And three days later, he raises from the grave conquering sin, conquering our sin, conquering the sin that affects all of the world, conquering the sin that uh, we are overwhelmed by, causing, conquering the sin that is, is committed against us, conquering the sin that we commit, and he takes our death while giving us life. He takes our sinfulness, and he gives us his righteousness. Right? And now the Father looks down from heaven and he looks on us and he sees saints, not sinners. And that is our hope, church. That is our only hope. In his love, Christ pursues us and he saves us. And so compelled by this very love that has reached out to us and pursued us and saved us and empowered by his spirit, we should be his ministers of grace and hope to a broken and a dark world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 15 tells us that for the love of Christ, ESV uses controls, a lot of other text uses compels. It's this idea that uh, there's an o such an overwhelming response to the love of Christ that we're almost, we almost have to go do it. We're controlled or we're compelled to do it because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he, Jesus, died for all. That those who live those of us who are saints have experienced God's grace. Those of us who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, right? Those of us who have been rescued by God's grace 
are sent back out as missionary rescue servants searching for those around us still in need of God's grace. That's the story of Jonah, isn't it? Jonah, a prophet of God who had experienced deeply and drank richly from God's grace, was being called and sent to go to Nineveh to cry out against their evil. Yet in disobedience, he turns away. Let that not be our story. Let that not be our hope. Let that not be our example. Part of me finds delight in God's care and grace for saving sinners despite Jonah's disobedience. This gives me hope that people have hope of experience God's grace when even in my disobedience, even in my disobedience, I keep it selfishly from them and to myself. Right? Find hope in that. Part of me, though, is deeply grieved for Jonah. Perhaps the saddest part of the story is Jonah's disobedience keeps him from experiencing the blessing of God's grace in saving sinners, right? The very people that God had brought across his path where he could declare the wondrous love and the grace of God, having their hearts compelled to be redeemed by putting their faith in the gospel. Yet Jonah is in the bottom of a fish, fish's belly, completely separated from the celebration that's happening as these saints, as these sailors pass from death to life, from sinners to saints. There's a deep, deep joy in leading people to faith in Jesus. It's been described as euphoric. In many cases, it's been therapeutic. For a moment, you get the most tangible evidence and experience of God's grace and goodness in the midst of an overwhelming desperate and broken society that we live in. God in his sovereign rule of all things is gracious enough to invite us into his plan, equipping us with the gifts to accomplish his purpose. And there is nothing like that, church. Nothing like that. Find your purpose, find your place, find your people and ring yourself out, declaring God's goodness to them so that they too would know, love, and follow Jesus. There is a sweet communion that comes, that sweet communion with God that comes from and with being used by God to accomplish his work. Is he able to do it without us? Absolutely. If this story doesn't give us evidence of that, nothing will. Is it more efficient for him to not use us to accomplish his purpose, it absolutely is. But like the small child who so desperately wants to be with his dad, he tries to help out with everything, doesn't he? Right? And it's not about accomplishing the task. It's not about swinging the hammer. It's not about getting the job done as quickly as possible. It's about being able to do something and spend some quality time with the dad that he loves, right? And with us, it's not about helping God do something that God couldn't do without us. It's about a sweet communion of fellowship that God invites us into and uses us to accomplish his purpose. And we as children should be like that small child that wants to do everything with their daddy, right? Right? 
What do we do with this? And we're gonna end very, very quickly. I'm gonna have two practice points. We're not gonna spend a ton of time unpacking them. First is this. With open hearts, listen to the stories of those around you who are living in despair, right? Had a conversation out in the lobby this morning with, with Mike about the events on Thursday. That was part of it was just, I said, man, I just don't understand why, why, why the best answer for this is, is, is spending time engaging with people around us in despair, listening to them, befriending them, inviting them in, right? People are telling their stories of despair in many ways. Are you listening? Are you digging deep enough into people's lives to not go off the first answer? Because most people, hey, how's everything going? Everything's going great. But you could see it in their face. You could see it in their tired body that everything ain't great, right? Listen to the stories. Create space to ask questions. Don't get so consumed with yourself that you can't see what is going on with the people around you, right? I've got a beautiful example, man, that if I, uh, when I hit a, life's devastating, most devastating circumstances. I look and remember this event. My uh, brother and sister-in-law had a baby. Within 24 hours, that baby was transferred to children's and that baby died. 24 hours almost to the minute, right? And so we, we had made the trek from Bethesda North Hospital out in Montgomery down to children's and we were kind of all just in the waiting room waiting it out. And there's there was a lasting impression that was made upon me that I'll never forget. I'll never forget in my life. And it haunts me and it convicts me and it challenges me. But I sat there as my brother-in-law's baby was in a room dying. Mom was in there, tears everywhere. And I watched him walk across the lobby, put his arm around a dad whose daughter was there fighting for her life talk about the hope that he has in Jesus because of the gospel. See people. Don't get so caught up in the storm that you can't see the souls. Right? Another real life hard example. I hate going to Walmart. I've expressed that a number of times, right? I hate it with everything in my body. But on occasion I have to go and uh Especially if it's quick, we can't, Tiffany can't go because if she's going in to get toilet paper, it takes 45 minutes and it costs way more than toilet paper should cost. So like if we're in a hurry, I gotta go in sometimes, right? Especially when I'm in a hurry and you get there and there's about 75 people in line and there's about two lines open, which I think happens every time. I don't think they, I don't think there's ever any hour that that doesn't happen, right? And how often, man, I'm ashamed of how often I get so distracted by the fact that this line is holding me up, that I don't realize there's a person in front of me and a person in back of me that God may have appointed me to stand in line with because they were desperately in need of Jesus, right? Or the cash register worker who, man, is probably stressed out of their mind because of the way people have treated them because they've been having to stand in this long line who are hurt, are broken, and need hope of the gospel. And let's not get caught up in the things around us that we can't see the souls behind the people that we're talking to. 
Last thing, and I'll close with this and I'll invite the band back up right now. Uh, With open homes, with open homes, live giving hope to those who are living in despair. I think our homes are one of the greatest gifts and tools God's given us. Invite people in, show hospitality, let your home be a home of refuge for people who are experiencing the storms of life, both those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. Because even us as believers, we're not, we're not, we're not uh, disconnected from the hurts of this world, are we? Man, we grieve, we hurt, we despair, we live in discouragement, we live with depression, right? Hurting people who sometimes need to be welcomed in, sometimes need to be hugged, told that, that they're loved, told that somebody cares about them. I'm thankful that I have those people in my life. Because as, as you know, I've, I've been enduring a season of despair. And I'm thankful for the people that show up in my life to encourage me, even when they get nothing out of it. Right, it's time as Christians we stop living so consumed with ourself that we won't engage with other believers, we won't engage with the lost world because we don't need anything from them. It may very well be that there are people who are hurting that God wants to use you to encourage and change their life. And so show up even when you don't want to, even when you don't feel like it, even when you're tired, even when you're hurt yourself, show up, be a part of a community, be a part of the church. Sometimes the greatest need people have is a friend who spends time with them. Invite people in, listen to their stories, show them the love of Christ, and invite them into obeying Jesus with you. As you've obeyed Jesus, you've experienced tremendous joy. There's hope in obedience of Christ because of the work Christ has already done. Tell people about it and invite them to be obedient with you. Share hope to those who are in despair. Bands made their way back up. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna lead us in a brief time of response. We're gonna sing just a couple songs this morning. Uh, to prep in preparation and to make time for our baptism. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your, your care for us. Even in difficult circumstances that seem increasingly overwhelming and chaotic, we can find a peace in you and knowing that you control all things. Help us to be mindful of that. Help us to walk in the realities that Christ has secured us in his work Help us to quit searching and striving to work out our own salvation for ourselves, but fully put our trust and our faith in you this morning. Help us to repent of our sin. Help us to repent of our selfishness. Help us to turn back to you and not run from you. We ask these things for your glory, amen.